Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the second drop-in of the season. So happy to have you with us. I'm just back from Birmingham, back in London. And in fact, I've just been to the football exhibition at the Design Museum, because I think it closes in the next week or so. I'd recommend. Got to start by saying huge thank you for all of the feedback and the lovely messages we've had off the back of our launch episode with Hal Robson Carney last week. Our wonderful producer, Finn, and our genius sound designer, Tom Wally, and I read everything you sent us. And we really hope you'll keep the messages and questions coming in. These conversations are all about making you smile and hopefully providing some illuminating ideas from the world of football. Now, how about this for a second episode? This really is one of the people I've been hoping to talk with for such a long time. Where you rank him in the best Spurs or England players of all time, it's up to you. But for me, Glenn Hoddle is one of the very best. We sat down for a cup of tea in a hotel restaurant in Taplow and Glenn was dressed like a surfer dude in a Nirvana t-shirt. So the whole situation was pretty surreal. As a player for Tottenham, for Monaco and England in the 70s and 80s, his style and his skill marked him out as someone ahead of his time. As a player coach at Swindon and then Chelsea in the 90s, he was said to intimidate some of his players by being still so much better than them. And that was still true, according to Rio Ferdinand, when he took on the biggest job of all after Euro 96 and became England manager. Since he's now a great commentator too, I thought the most interesting thing for us would be to spend time getting his ideas of what makes a truly great player, what makes a great manager and what he thinks of football today. With that in mind, we kicked off with his reminiscences of the three greatest players he's shared a pitch with. They are some absolute stunners and they give a real picture of what Glenn values in football and what he valued in his own game. The horrible way things ended at England features in that second question too. I wanted to see how he reflects on those events now and whether really he thought he was ready for that huge job at all. It was an unbelievable way to spend an hour and... I really hope you enjoy it. Glenn Hoddle, amazing. Thank you so much for sitting down Pleasure. with us. This is so, I'm, and I'm glad we got you out of that sweat box. That yeah, was that ridiculous. Was a bit too hot up there, it would have been. Um, the plan is what we wanted to do was because you were this wonderfully talented player and then you went on to become England manager and then now you're one of the game's most in-demand pundits. We basically wanted to spend our time together thinking about what makes the greatest players and the managers in the game mm. and how that kind of reflects on the choices that you have made in your own life. So the first thing to ask is what kind of a player did you want to be as a kid and how far do you feel you got towards becoming that player? 
Well, first and foremost, as a kid, you know, it was a love of football uh, that I had within me. So it was almost in my DNA. Um, where and at a very young age, I mean, I'm thinking back to when I was six, seven years of age, you know, way back. I slept with a football. Um, I was just crazy about football, obsessed with football. So how, where I envisaged where I wanted to go, I think what you do is you wanted to become a footballer yeah. per se, if you got the chance, you never knew at that age, but it was it was constantly playing football. Um, I, I had a natural ability. I, I don't mind saying I was lucky in 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 many ways, but it cho- football chose me rather than me choosing football. And I just had this obsession with football as well. So I spent hours and hours and hours playing football from a kid, just non-stop, left foot, right foot. Did you? But did you have a particular? Did you think I'm going to be this kind of player? Did you well, see someone and think this is the, the, what I want to do? The, I think the World Cup '66 was, you know, I was nine years of age, and then and watching England play in the World Cup and winning the World Cup. I think that then I probably looked at Bobby Charlton in that in that era, in that sort of. Although as a youngster, being a Spurs fan, yeah, George Best was my favourite player because Bestie was Bestie. But I think looking back, Bobby Charlton was the one that probably I played and modelled sort of things and copied things, went out in the garden after the World Cup and did more of what Bobby Charlton was about, really, than than George Best, although George was my favourite because he was special. Um, But uh, So, yeah, Bobby Charlton was probably one high up um, that I emulated a little bit as a kid. He's dropping of his shoulder. I used to go up to the, the washing line and drop my shoulder on the washing line and things like that and commentate at the same time. <laughs> I was commentating even then when I was seven or eight. So you put in all the practice for the later career as well? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And uh, do, you feel, do you feel like, because there's a lot of conversation about you, hundreds of people have said, if you're French, if you're Argentine, yeah, blah, blah, you'd have had lots yeah. more caps. How, do you feel like you got to be the player? Do you feel you reached your... Oh, extent like, like the extent of your ability. I think I think it was a hard task in this country compared to what it would have been like if I'd have been abroad, if I'd have been um, French or Spanish or something. Yeah, the way they played, the way outlook. Um, lots of people say that, whether they're Dutch or French themselves, or when I went to play in France. Yeah, it was a, it was a tough it was a tough ask for creative footballers back in the day. It really was in the in the late seventies and eighties. The ball was in the air too much. It was. You know, 60 by 40s really we played in. It, was, it wasn't It uh, was technically, it was more power. It was more strength and power and aerial uh, strength. So it was, you were swimming against the tide, as I, as I like to say it, if you were going to be a creative player. Um, so I got the maximum out I could have got out of myself in English football. Um, but if I'd have been brought up as a young kid coming through different systems, I think, you know, I think I would have been a better player, yeah. And what about now? Do you see? How do you imagine yourself if you were? Well, now, now, now it's changed a little bit. I think it's. I think the. Uh, let's take. Let's take. Let's take Foden for instance. That yeah. era. Yeah. So what happened back in the day is you know we had big pitches, we had the strongest number nine, the biggest centre back, and the big goalkeeper, and they'd whack the ball over the top, and the most powerful team would always win the league, and that's how they played, and you'd come off the pitch. If you're a midfield player or a skillful player, you might have had, I don't know, 25 touches of the ball. So suddenly, about what 12 years ago, 14 years ago maybe, they started changing things in this country. We followed what other countries have been doing in making the pitches smaller, making sure that little Johnny, who's got a bit of a creative touch, gets a 1,000 touches of the ball every game. So the, the academy's changed, the school of excellence is changed the you know the facilities changed the emphasis more important changed on technical side of the game now you look at Foden when he was eight or nine and others with him I'm just giving him as an example is why we've now got a batch of English players that have got ability on the ball so it happened back that you you get you had the ones like myself and I don't know you can only you go through there's not many. They they were self-taught. If if you if you know what I mean, we were fighting against the system. You and know, sometimes undermined. As yeah, a, as of a course. Style, yeah, of course. You were called all, in England. We had. You listen, were I often, Blender, weren't you? Yeah, I, I I often think when I think about it, you know, twenty six miles of water saved us in the war, but twenty six miles also isolates us from the rest of Europe in many many ways. And in football, without a doubt. We were insolent. We were. It was a long ball. We, were, we had lazy coaching back in the day. 
we had a, a director of football at the FA that was a long ball, you know, use was a long ball uh, uh, coach. He wanted everyone to play that way. And that, and we, we lived through that era, you know, the likes of Chrissy Waddle, Peter Beardsley, you know, some some great players. We had Tony Curry before me, Alan Hudson. All these players, have, have, we've had, they pop up and they come out on their own. They're not because of the system. They, have to, they fight against it and they come through it because they had the talent. Now the system changes when I'm saying it changed. What is it? 14 years ago or so. Now you're seeing these the fruits of Foden. He would have gone to a school of excellence or an academy at eight. And now look at him at 20, what is he, 22. So, you know, probably Mount was the same. You've got Grealish. You've got all these players. So um, we eventually changed. So nowadays it would have been fantastic to play in English football yeah. with the pitches as they are, the rules as they are, plus the emphasis on what we've done way back. But um, you know what? I was lucky in the sense I went to Tottenham when I was 11 and Spurs was a technical team. They yeah. played technical football. We did a lot of work in the ball court. You know, it was indoors, so it was a lot of technical stuff that we did at Tottenham. Some clubs, it might not have been like that. But So, I, you know, I sort of always say... In a way, Tottenham and myself, we did sort of fit like a hand in glove in many ways as the emphasis that they wanted, the technical side of the game as it was, the push and run side from way back and then Bill Nicholson. So there was always a way of playing at Tottenham which suited me. So I was lucky that it was the, it was the <laughs> That's team. That's your club. Yeah, the, the team. And it was your club. The team that, that, that chose me to go there and have a trial. You know, that was, that was, a, that was a big bonus. We asked you to think about the some of the greatest players you'd shared a pitch with yeah someone who was a part of a nation that actually did appreciate caressing the ball treating the ball well was was one of your choices Johan Cruyff um mm. but is he I mean the main story about you guys sharing the pitch is the final when you absolutely destroyed Feyenoord yeah. yeah I mean I'm looking at Cruyff as you know, I shared the pitch with him, obviously, in that game. And I had one of my best games ever for Tottenham. I really did. Hoddle, so anxious to take over, so keen to eclipse Cruyff tonight. That's a fine ball, and Galvin's through again, and it's four. After 41 minutes, the Spurs fans see Hoddle lay on another goal. He's had a hand in all four, and that was a perfect through pass. The man-to-man -man marking system destroyed. And Tony Galvin going through to finish. But Cruyff was a special player. He was, he was, it was only the fact that Pelé was around in them days and, and a few other players. But he was, I think for a short period of time, he was the best in the world. He had problems, not off the pitch in a sense, but he, they, a bit, bit like the Dutch did in anyway, even their squads, they imploded a little bit. He didn't go to the, to the 74 World Cup, if you remember, no, 78 World Cup. It fell out with the federation, the Dutch federation. All them things happened. But as a footballer, when I mean, if you've got a skill named after you, <laughs> the Cruyff turn, then you've done something great. You deserve to be in my top three. <laughs> and you wanted, you wanted to, you practiced that. I remember you saying oh. you practiced it as soon as you saw it because one of oh. your best goals is a what is against Watford, and it's like a more difficult Cruyff turn. Yeah, it was, right? a diff it was a different. To Cruyff was in control of the ball actually. When 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 I did the my Watford goal, that ball was travelling towards me. Don't ask me where. So that, that makes it harder. I think it does yeah. actually. Yeah, don't ask me where it come from because <laughs> I'd never done it before, and it just it just happened. But no, when you when you and Cruyff did it, I can still see the dummy when he he went across it. And I think it was against I can't remember was it Yugoslavia or Brazil player, fellow in blue. Oh my word! When he did the turn, I fell off the sofa, and I said to me dad, I remember I was like, what did he do there? What did he? I wanted to because it wasn't there wasn't as many replays, and we waited for a replay, and they actually did show the skill. Because it looked like he was going to cross it. The whole stadium and the whole world watching on telly. And suddenly, but the Cruyff skill, you know, isn't that difficult. But it had never been done before. So he's actually then dragged it behind his, his standing foot and left the fella for dead. He's like, he's four yards past him. And I just looked at it and, and I just, after the game, I just went in the back garden and continued to do it. Left and right foot. And um, the dummy of, he was, I mean, the whole world thought he was actually going to cross the ball. And as I say, the actual skill isn't that difficult. 
but it was the dummy, the body shape and everything. He's crossing that. And certainly the fellow that was marking him thought that as well because he went out for three ice creams and a jock ice. And he was gone. And that's Fantastic. football as fun as well, in yeah. a way, which yeah. is something to be really treasured. Um, speaking of which, another unarguable person that you chose uh, was a certain Argentine. Oh, Diego, yeah. Well, when I think of Diego, I have to think of the positives because there's a lot of negatives there. Personally, with the hand of God goal as well as on the pitch, so that hurts. Does um, it? Does it? Does it? You still... It still hurts. Uh, you know what? After the, the tournament ended, I just felt there was this massive injustice. And huh. um, it, I'm not sure the second goal, which is a wonder goal, probably the best goal ever scored in the World Cup. Um, I'm not sure that goal goes is scored. You don't know, do you? If the handball one doesn't go in. The wow. emph- well, the emphasis that they had, the confidence that they had then, the game was very tight. And I, I, I actually went back and well, I had to get out of the country. I, we went, I was going on a holiday a bit late. Excuse me. But I said to uh, the family, no, I've got to, and my mate and his wife, we went off, we just, I had to get out of the country, went to Spain. And we were going to Spain later on, about three weeks later, but I needed to watch the final out of the country. Wow. And um, I couldn't sleep for about three days. I really, really did affect me because I just felt the injustice of it. And, you know, I can't do anything about it now. I'd, I'd, I've never blamed Maradona. You know, I blame the officials. You know, the officials, one of them should have picked it up. Well, I should have seen it. We saw it. I saw it. Um, but it's a tough one. But in saying that, for me, he was the best player that's hit the planet. Better than Pelé, better than Messi or Ronaldo or anyone else. Um, if you actually, if these young generation of players, I was, where was I? I was talking with some youngsters and I said, look, do me a favour. We all promise we'll put your hands up. Watch YouTube tonight. Go back and watch Maradona if you haven't watched him. And the response a few days later was incredible. They didn't quite understand how good he was. You just got to watch his free kicks. I think he's got about 53 free kicks where they're just going in left, right. He was a genius, the fella. And to play with him in Aussie's testimonial was, was wonderful. We had a great time. We just... We couldn't speak to each other, but we had something. There was just this language with the ball, and it was it was wonderful. And then, obviously, to play against him in that quarterfinal was was amazing. And the goal he scored was incredible because what people don't realise, the pitch was poor. It was so poor. It really was. There was ruts at the bottom of that that pitch, and that's why they grew the the grass. Did so you say rats? No, sorry, ruts. Uh, ruts. It was <laughs> rats. <laughs> Some people might have called Sorry. him a rat after the goal, yeah. Rats. But no, there was it was rats. It's my Got poor it. English rats, <laughs> Not at all. and and that's why they left the grass really long. So to score that goal right. on a lovely carpet like this is one thing, but to score a goal like that was incredible on that on that pitch. It really was. That's why it's so special to us because we knew, you know, people would watch that and say, "Wow, what a goal! The greatest ever, maybe." But I'm, I put it above that because it was the pitch was. Really not great, actually, but uh, to do it on that pitch was amazing. So for me, and I watched him play in Italy. I was in Monaco, so we got the TV right on the border of Monaco and Italy. So I watched him when he was in his pomp for Napoli. I mean, I've never seen a team mark any Palais, Croix, if anyone, with two men. <laughs> Udinese marked him with two guys, followed him everywhere, tried to kick him, could not get close to him. They couldn't get near him. It was, it was just amazing to watch. And this this fellow was uh, was was incredible. That ball was played through to him, but here's Maradona again. He has Borchaga to his left and Baldana to his left. He doesn't. He won't need any of them. Oh, you have to say that's magnificent. There is no debate about that goal. That was just pure football genius. And the crowd in the Azteca Stadium stand to him. Inside one away from another and the coolness under pressure to play the ball home with the side of his foot. Is it true you sort of nearly might have played with him at Napoli? Well, I nearly went to Napoli in, in 80, just after the 82 World Cup, so it wouldn't have been that far. Whether it would have crossed, I'm not sure, because at the time I thought I was going, the president got put in prison and I think the manager was sent somewhere and uh, my chances of going suddenly sort of dwindled. Probably for the best. For the best I think looking back I might have missed a little bullet there but uh, yeah it would have been great to play with him every week yeah it would have been great but 
it was nice with Ozzy's testimonial to play with him. Yeah, it was great, great fun. You, of course, are so two-footed. I, fi- I still find mm. it incredible to watch Maradona do everything yeah. with one foot. Yeah. yeah. Well, Messi's really similar, explain actually. Can explain it? I yeah. I think, I think Maradona was even more one-footed than Messi. Messi, yeah, his, his right foot is, 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 is decent, actually. Everything was with his left side of his, mm. of his body. It was... Um, It'd have been some player if he was two-footed, wouldn't he? Well, exactly right. <laughs> Do you not see, I mean, um, speaking about you playing that way, that was mm. something that you developed instinctively well, or, or how? You know what? I didn't develop... I, I practised it because I was a nut. <laughs> I was a football nut. So I spent hour after hour after hour hitting against the wall in my garden and then at Tottenham. Where it was left foot, right foot, left foot, inside the foot, outside the foot, inside the outside. So... But I was doing that when I was five or six. Dad said I was too, too, just naturally two-footed. I was very lucky by putting the hard yards as well because I loved the game. Yeah, it, it was a labour of love. It wasn't a chore going out there and practising for hour and hour. It's what I did, scoff me dinner down. Mum would go, but, and I'd be gone. <laughs> I was back in the garden or over the park. You didn't favour either, ever? No. As far as you can remember. It's funny, really. I think if I was taking penalties, I'd take, take it with my right foot. If I was running with the ball and taking people on I found more natural with my left foot but I could hit volleys and score if you just, there's goals with my left foot on my right foot which is similar and it's all about the balance actually you have to have the same balance on the other side of the foot if you're using your right you've got to be totally balanced on your left side of your body and vice versa and some players if they're very one-footed haven't got that even yeah. when you're coaching right, at my academy, I was trying to make them play with their... We had opposite foot day, so they could only use their opposite foot in, cool. in every session. And um, they were awkward. And you'd say, well, pretend to hit it with your natural left foot, and their right arm would be out, the balance of their right side was all there. And I said, when you do it in the opposite way, and they're going, yeah, my arm's down here. It, I'm, I'm, I feel... So it's that's how you become. But I was actually lucky that I just... It was just natural. Yeah. I, I didn't have to work at that. It was there, both sides. And I think, getting back to Bobby Charlton, Bobby Charlton did that. He, I looked at Bobby Charlton and he was left and right foot, naturally left, naturally right, could hit with right, could hit with left, and the opposite side of his body was was in perfect position. You've talked about, um, what have you said, something like, you scored great goals, but you weren't a great goal scorer. Well, no, Do a you great mean goals, that? No, but a great goal scorer, I mean, is like a Michael Owen, he's a Robbie Fowler or a Jimmy Greaves. Or the guy we're about to talk about. George where? Oh, George. Yes. Yeah, George. He George. was your third pick, wasn't he? Yeah, I played with him at Monaco. Uh, George was a... He's a wonderful guy, you know, a great human being. But I, I've got to tell you the story of when I first saw George or met George. So I'm playing for Monaco, me and Mark Haightley. We go up to La Turbie, which is a great training ground up in the mountains. Oh, wow, by the uh, way. Yeah, yeah. it is a wow factor. Look it, really it up. Is. Look it up, guys, yeah. if you haven't already yeah. seen it. It's like yeah. into the rocks. It's or, in the rocks, yeah. and it's looking over the south of France. You know, it was, it was really hard to play out there. <laughs> no, it was, it's a wonderful site, a wonderful spot. Anyway, so we go up one, it was, I think it was February, it was quite wintry. Anyway, we go up and we go and walk through the door into the changing rooms and, um, you know, Arsene Wenger was manager. And there was a guy there in a, in a long robe and a pair of, pair of sandals on. Mm. And he had a brown paper bag under his arm. Tall, really built, good presence about him, shoulders. Just this robe and it was like and a brown paper bag under his arm. And we went, bonjour, shook hands, walked past him thinking... I don't know. It was a fan. Dignitary of some kind. Yeah. No idea. Yeah. Um, anyway, five minutes later, Arson brings him in. Says, "Look, this is George. He's on trial for two weeks. He's from Liberia. Speaks English. Put him in between you and Mark." So we say, hey, "George, you know." And he took, he took the robe off, and he, he got the the uh, the brown paper bag, and he unfolded them. And he had these boots and they had holes in, they had, it was his football boots and they were old and there was little holes in them and everything. And I was like, wow. So puts it on, puts the kit on, cool, he looked apart. As soon as he put the training kit on, you think, I said, what position do you play? He says, "Uh, (laughs) I play up front. So I thought, oh, okay. So we go out and we have first team versus the reserves. So Mark Aitley's up front for the first team. We're, We're playing and poor old George, for 10 minutes, we're, we're too good for the reserves. 
at the day, it was a strong team we had. So George couldn't get a kick. I was thinking, God, poor lad, he can't get a kick. Arsenal should have put him in our team and we could see, what, you know, if he's on trial. Anyway, he drifts out to the right wing. He gets the ball. Somebody gives him the ball at the right wing. And we had a great left-back Amaros and uh, played national team about 90 times. Anyway, he, he put this dummy on. He went as if he was going to hit it down the line and he'd come inside, left Amorous on his backside. He dropped his shoulder on Battiston. Battiston was playing for us. He drops his shoulder, goes past Battiston, beats two other players, hits this shot and Jean-Luc Eckery was the goalkeeper. He was a national goalkeeper. <laughs> gets nowhere near it and it <laughs> smashes against the bar and flies out the other side for a throw-in. And the whole, we all went, wow. <laughs> and Arsene started laughing. And I remember <laughs> saying to Mark Hately, Mark, you better get your finger out, mate. You've got a bit of a challenge here. And then George didn't touch the ball for another 10 minutes. And then when he got it the next time, he dropped his shoulder. He went past two or three players. I thought, why? I said, Arsene, where have you got him from? He said, he's a natural talent, Glenn. And then in the end, he gets he got in the first team. Mark got injured. He got in the first team. And, and he was just, he was fantastic. He, he had no idea what the game was about. He said to me, he said, what happens if you get injured, Glenn? Said I, 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 I'm finished. I said, what do you mean, George? I said, you're the most natural player. You're fantastic, mate. He said, no, I don't know. You tell me where to go when we defend. Oh, I see. And all that. So I used to talk to him and say to him, not yeah. yet, George. Don't press yet. I'm not. With, you know, blah, blah. now go, go, go. And he used to love that. And he said, but without you, if you're injured, what do I do? He said to the coaches this. So you were coaching. I was coaching. You were coaching even at that behind. time when yeah. you were playing Arson, at Monaco. I, I said to Arsene that he, he said he's raw. I said, but what a talent. And when he had the ball, he just did what he did. And Arsene said, look, you need to perhaps guide him a bit. I said, yeah. And so it was literally when we're going to press together. And he'd go to go, no, George, no, George, not yet. We're not ready. We're not ready to go yet. Save your energy. And he'd go, OK, OK. <laughs> so, so it was literally like that for it's the first season when he was at Monaco. But my word, he's some of the goals he scored and some of the That's tricks. That's so and cool. Skill, Something else to look up. Oh, my God. The skills that he did. It was lovely. It was fantastic. And, you know, that, that, this, this is what football does. And this is the, the romantic side of football. Is that from from that from that brown paper bag, and I'm rolling that, you know, and, and seeing them boots. He goes on to become World Player of the Year yeah. later on in his future when he went to AC Milan, and that's what football can. That's what football can do, and 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 he's become president of his, of his country. Yeah, I did catch up with him a few years back, and we had a real laugh and a real cuddle and. It didn't seem as if he'd changed that much to me, you know, but I asked him if he still had his boots. <laughs> Is that when you started to think that you were... A person who might manage, who might steer other mm, players. Was it there not, at Monaco? It was in Monaco, but it wasn't then, actually, funny enough. I was just doing what was needed for the player and for the team. Um, I was an experienced player at the time. I was, what, 29, and so I, I understood the game. It was in Monaco, but not perhaps that season when George came in. It was the one where I had my injury, and I, I was out for about eight months, and I was looking at the game different because I knew I was struggling to play again. And... Um, I just started to look at the game differently, like through a coach's eyes and what the opponents were doing and what we were doing and what I would do maybe different or not different, but I would, you know, and I'd, I'd started to look through a different set of curtains, as I call it. And then it was at Arsenal actually one day said, you know, one, this was before I had the injuries. He said it way before, obviously, when I was talking probably about George at the time. And he went, you know, Glenn, he said, have you thought about going to coaching after? I said, no. No, hmm. never. I didn't see myself as, as as that. I was too too concentrated on playing and, and extending my career as long as I could, you know. But obviously the injury, uh, I still managed to play at Swindon and Chelsea, funny enough, but while well, I was hobbling around on one knee, really, <laughs> in that stage. But I mean, okay. I really, was, would we call it that? I mean, a lot <laughs> well, of players yeah. who've played with it, you as player-manager <laughs> have said that they found it pretty intimidating felt, like how much it, better you were I can assure you it felt I only had one knee fobbling around on it because it was in it was a lot of pain I've still got pain now playing golf with it but no it was it was um it was then that I thought oh you know what 
awesome might be you know might be and I started to look differently and thought yeah I'll go back to England and I'll see if I can get fit if I can't get fit you don't know where's your next step going to be and go into coaching so it could have been at youth level it could have been anything you know, I had a, an open page and it was it was when I was trying to get back fit that, that Swindon come knocking and I decided to go there and what it meant ultimately was that when you took the England job you were still 38 years old 39, I 39, think. 39, I think. 39 touching right. 40, yeah. Uh, yeah. I just touching finished. 40, yeah. go on. Yeah. <laughs> that's, still extremely young. that's still extremely young to be managing yeah, of England. Course. Of course. Did you feel like, yeah. what, what do you make of the fact that you were appointed at that young age? Um, I was a bit surprised that they, they cut for me at, at that age, but um, I, I, I have had no qualms at all about taking the England job because of my age. And I think my the proof in that is is the percentage. My winning percentage was sixty one. I mean, if it if it was like a disaster on the on the results and that, I'd have thought, well, I wasn't. Yeah, ready. you're up there with I lots of others. I wasn't ready, yeah. you know. I shouldn't have shouldn't have took it. I never ever have I thought that, and I didn't certainly feel that when when the opportunity came. Um, but on the other side of with the England job, probably I wasn't ready. You know, the, the, the with the press and and dealing with all the other things, the football side, the, the you know coaching of the players, trying to go into a World Cup, planning the team, the coaching, da, 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 the training, everything about that, I felt capable and, and not too young. The other side, I think, looking back, maybe it would have, if I'd have had it 12 years later, 10 years later, I could have actually dealt with that much, much better and easier, going into stuff and doing stuff. And, you know, that was the bit, there was always going to be a, a slight problem for every England manager. And, and maybe that's where I, did, I was inexperienced on that. I hadn't quite had enough of that side of uh, the, the, the job. But on the football side, I was, I was very confident that we could do it. Sounds like you're referring to what happened when you finally no, had no, to leave not, the job. So no, you... not, not so much that. Even before, even, ha- even really? then, in the press conferences, they weren't that important to me. I, I didn't really enjoy them. And realistically, I should have. If I was more experienced, if I had got the job tomorrow, I'd be more experienced. I would actually spend a lot of time doing more stuff that I didn't do. I didn't really like, you know, that was a bit, that was a pain in the backside part of the job. Yeah. It was like, oh, I've got to do it. But, you know, where, um, and I think that came across a bit like that. I wanted to be out there with the training pitch with the boys, you know, and I wanted to, to do the coaching, I wanted to plan the team, and that was the, that was the, that was real the real job for me. Yeah. The real job was that. Not, but nowadays it's, and I think maybe, maybe later on, maybe five or six years after, I would have looked at it different and thought that's just as important as that. The two go hand in hand. Whereas, maybe naively or maybe because I was inexperienced, I was just foot my football head on. I loved football. I'd only just finished playing. It was football, football, football. It was the team. It was this. It was scouting. It was the shape of the team. It was everything football. Oh, I've got to do a press thing. Oh, that's a pain. I didn't prepare for them. I went in and I said to David, you know, David Davis and people like that. I said, well, what's the SP? What's going on? And then they go, well, this, this. I go, okay, right. And, you know, you get all these questions. And I go, oh, let's get it out of here. Let's get out of here as soon as I can sort of thing. And I think they knew that and it come across like that. I didn't mean it in an arrogant way. It was just... This this isn't the job that I really want. I like to be out there doing the football side. So you're almost you're almost too much a footballer still yeah. when you were trying to do this Pro- job. Possibly, yeah. Probably still had a football head on, and the love of the game was more important than all the other stuff that had to come with that job. We're a bit more experienced, a bit more, you know, mouse even. Yeah, mouse and a bit of understanding that you know what, there's a balance to this job that you've got to you've got to do. And I think, you know what, I think Gareth's done brilliant. Gareth bringing it up to date now. He does. He's done, and, and managers since then have, have have dealt with certainly the both sides, the balance of the job, um, very well, very well. I mean, I suppose one of the things that connects into that then a lot of we asked our, our listeners for a few questions, and but just you know what rafts of questions came yeah. in. Of course, we haven't got lots of time, but m- many people asked about the experience of telling Gaza he wasn't in the 98 squad. That was what people are fascinated by. And I wonder... I thought it was going to be Diamond Lights. Don't worry. <laughs> That's the next one. <laughs> I was pretty sure you are going to say Diamond Lights. I think probably that appeared more than that one, but only oh. just. The, I wonder if that... Gaza, as we know, is clearly troubled character someone mm. who was volatile but do you feel looking back on it now like you could have handled it in any 
better way no to have no. a different outcome no there wasn't a different outcome this is what people didn't want to hear at the time and this is where the press you know the perception of it, it makes better for reading than a real the real truth Gaza didn't go to the World Cup simply 100% that he, he wasn't fit he, he had a knee problem and a, a calf problem which I'd known tried to get him fit six, since we uh, we qualified uh, in Rome told him he had to get fitter and uh, all them thing anyway lots of chats with him about that didn't really take didn't take that heed but I thought well he still can get through with this knee and this calf problem I said but I need he needs to show me his fit and I left him to the last game because there was all this stuff going on in his life other stuff and um, which wasn't great and I thought oh dear you know I'm going to have to I'm going to have to oversee that. He's played really well for me in the qualifiers and he's been in the same sort of similar shape. So I'm going to have to oversee that. So in the end, it was about getting through the last game against Morocco. And he gets a, he gets tackled. He gets a hematoma. And the, the physio said to me, he's going to be out at least three weeks. What with his knee and his, his calf. So I had to make a call on that. That was the only honest reason why Gaza didn't go. He played in all my qualifying games. He but, was doing great for me. So yeah. I wanted him there. But I was gutted that Gaza without playing for three and a bit weeks. And if we'd have gone all the way, it would have been probably semi-final. I'm probably not going to change the team anyway. Gaza not being, you know, back Gaza being Gaza probably, I couldn't see him for three weeks heeding and doing what he would need to do to get himself absolutely fit. Yeah. And it was the saddest decision I've had to make. Not the toughest, not the toughest. The toughest was, was easily, easily the uh, Swindon when I first took over, letting apprentices know that they weren't going to be taken on as pros and, and then breaking down in the office and crying. And, you know, you're telling them virtually that you don't think they've got a career in football. That was the toughest thing I've ever done. So the Gaza one was the saddest. But it was, you know, and, and also people forget because it was Gaza, obviously. But I had seven other players that I had to tell as well that weren't, they weren't going. So I had to be as straight with them as I was with Gaza. And, um, you know, but Gaza had some ghosts, he had some problems at that time. It was all sorts of stuff. But if he'd have got through that game against Morocco, I don't know. he would have he gone. He'd have gone. So it's not so much about the decision then that's interesting to me. Mm. I wonder, do you feel like the conversation you had with him was the best you could have... Do you think with more experience you could have handled it any no. differently, specifically interpersonally you with him what? as a manager? Yeah, but you know what? I did it with every player. I, I, I spoke to them. I had them into the yeah. room and I spoke to them. Some managers have done it on text, you know. Yeah, well... <laughs> so, <laughs> so you, you know, feel like you did everything you could and I, his reaction I, was... I looked at it... You know where I looked at it? I looked at it... it if I, it was me as a player, how would I want to be told? Yeah. And I would want the manager to sit me down and just say, look, this is the reasons why. Bang, bang, bang. I wouldn't be happy. I'd be sad. I'd be frustrated, blah, blah, blah. But And I had to go through that a little bit. And I, it was over the phone with Bobby Robson myself, you know, yeah. when I didn't go in, in 90. So I needed, you know, we're all in the same vicinity. We took all the players there and I was going to cut them down. So... Every player, all eight of them did that. There were seven others that came in and spoke and I gave them the reasons. So I don't think I could have done it any better. And, and you know, to say that he, he smashed the room up is, is just not true. He, he, he smashed his hand into the door and dented the door. He must have broke his wrist, I think. And that oh, was my all he did. God. That's wow. all he did. That's all he did. But, you know, the press said he smashed the room up and did this and did that. that have you ever broken any limbs out of frustration? I don't think that's a very normal thing to do, <laughs> is it? Oh, God. Yeah. Are you a crier, Glenn? Do you ever, did you ever find yourself getting emotional in those situations? Well... When you were having to deliver this news or when no, you were no, on the no, end of it? No, 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 you, you, you're a professional. I can cry over a film if it's an emotional film. You watch The Champ. Have you ever watched The Champ? I can no. never... Oh, watch it. You've got to go and watch it. Oh, that. no, I can't. I, I would cry at everything. You, well, you, you'd definitely cry at this, that film, The Champ. John Voight. Brilliant film. Anyway, um, <laughs> I digress. No, I, no, no, you put a professional head on. It's, uh, you're doing a job. So was your is your finest moment then... It, as England manager, was it that qualifying game, the nil-nil against Italy, and you're guess, playing the three at the back, and you've, did you feel like, we've cracked this, we've cracked it? I guess that was, yeah, looking back, that was a Titanic um, performance. It was so un-English, is what, yeah. is what you think. And I remember Zola, Gianfranco, saying something, which was, 
you know, sometimes you, you hear things from your side of the fence and whatever. It's easy for a player or a coach or whatever. Pundits at the time saying great performances and that. But John Franco said to one of the players, not to me, but I think he said, I've never seen an England team play like that. <laughs> and that was music to my ears, to be honest. And um, we played some great stuff. And, and, um, and the Argentinian game was the most emotional game. I mean, that was, that was, I've never had a roller coaster like that in my life. But I think as a performance. So this is the knockout at the World yeah, The one yeah, where we were knocked yeah. out on penalties Michael at, scores the, one at the 98 World yeah. Cup. Yeah. Michael scores the wonder goal. Announces himself. Michael the child, win. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Babyface assassin. And what a goal. Um, and then, you know, the ups and downs of that game to, to think we thought, we, you know, it was. Golden. 75 minutes nearly, wasn't it, with, yeah. with 10 well, we had golden goal as well, if you remember. Oh, my and, goodness. And Sol scored, so we're thinking we're... Well, I do remember, oh, but uh, our producer know. wasn't alive for that game. Oh, right. So, you know, okay. that's, that's good, just as a bit Ooh. of context for the, uh, uh, the listener. Ouch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Makes me feel really old. Really broke my heart when I realised that. But, yeah, so sorry, it was golden goal. Well, as it well. broke my heart as well when I realised it was disallowed. I've got to say, I was in the same, I was in the same group with you. No, the, the the ups and downs of that game was was the most emotional I've ever 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 experienced, you know. But I think the the best performance was Rome. Yeah, get to go there as well. They tried to keep it quiet from the boys, which was impossible. Seventeen matches they hadn't been beaten there in that stadium. You know, it was like it really was. It was gladiator. It was we were going into the into the den and um, ninety thousand. Italians, you know, baying for blood. Another look at the watch from the Dutch referee. Wright chases, Peruzzi hesitates, and Ian Wright goes on. It's still Wright, can he score? He's at the post! This is Sheringham. Oh, dear. Well, the game isn't over. It effectively could have been. And here come Chiesa and Italy. With... Del Piero. Oh! oh. Well, you well, won't get chances. The drama of top-level sport encapsulated in those last seconds. And to think as a manager, that was that, you know, I just had a moment, I remember in the tunnel, having that moment and just visualising the country back home. You know, just visualising the pubs and the clubs and the the people just thinking, wow, we've done it, you know. And I've been like that as a, as a supporter. Yeah. So it was great. It was great to have that feeling. Yeah. That's a beautiful mm. thing to mm. have, have created for, yeah. for your, your country that you were so proud yeah. of. Yeah, well, I was a part of it. You know, the players are the ones that go out and implement it. But no, it was, it was a special night, yeah. Another key thing to ask about in terms of, like, your reflections on it today is how it ended with England. So mm. you resigned after making comments about disability and and reincarnation how do you how do you well, reflect on that now I've and gone, how that played out and, and yeah, all of the, the, the all problem of it. is the problem is people still you know and I've, it's it, it's there for me to to, to, to put you in, in a way right it wasn't your fault a lot of people think that I did not say that about it that's not my beliefs about the d disabled people that's never been my belief I do believe in reincarnation I said that before I went to the World Cup there was no problems um, I think more more than half the world believe in reincarnation. Um, but it's nothing to do with uh, all, the, all the stuff that was written. That, was my, that wasn't me, that wasn't quotes from me. Um, that's not my belief, and I've said that in my book. And um, what, how that got spun, I, that's just one of them things. That's, that's what happens in life. I can assure you that is not my belief, and never will be, and never was. So you get an opportunity to come back. You get, you know, you get... To, uh, you come back to learn. So there, that's completely different than saying someone gets punished if you're disabled. That's just not true. It's not a punishment. It's, um, reincarnation's a, a, a lifetime of experience, really, in many ways, to understand it. So, um, so I wasn't, you know, I was frustrated that I lost the job. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Um, people do want to ask about diamond lights. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it might be the clock. Adam on Instagram <laughs> just says, and I think we he messages, he, he speaks for all of us when he says, I just want to know everything about the recording process of diamond lights, <laughs> which don't. was, um, yeah, I don't know. Would you want people to look it up if, uh, if they if haven't they heard it? If, if they, they haven't, haven't seen heard it, it, your performance on Top of the Pops, or would you prefer yeah. the, well, uh, the music can, video? Well, the video, Top of the Pops, uh, it doesn't matter, does it? Either way. <laughs> or the clock, even. Grandfather clock. No. That's I, Mar- I, is that Mars Singer you're Yeah, about? that was. Uh, I just love my you're music. You're a performer, aren't you, though? No, honestly, I just always love music. The second to football was music. I just. Loved singing as a kid. All the time I had music on music, music. We didn't plan to do Diamond Lights. Right. Absolutely not. Me and Chrissy, we like our music, but there was a mate that... It's a long story, actually. But in the end, he kept pestering us and pestering us to do this song because he heard us get up and sing at some sponsored do that we did, but we... You were getting up and just singing at No, no, they got us up. They they, they got me and Chrissy up on the band and we we sort of done... How much pestering is is needed in order to require you to to ask you to sing on, for example, a podcast called The Football Ramble? Is that... (laughs) Longer than three months. Oh, what? (laughs) No, three. It was... um, yeah, and he pasted the life out and he said, I've got a friend who writes songs and this and that. We said, we don't want to do a song. We don't want to do a song. <laughs> anyway. What do you think Chris wanted to do? Loads, <laughs> loads of days and months go by and in the end, we end up deciding to meet the guy, Bob Pusey, lovely guy, and, and in the end, we got our arms twisted to do this song. It was a real slow ballad at the first and we went, we're not doing that. So he quickened it up for us and... And in the end, we end up on bloody live top of the. I can't believe that's the scariest thing I've done. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the grandfather clock was hard and and scary, because it was so claustrophobic singing live and in in that sort of in a box really over your head. That was hard. But no, to go to think when they said you're going on live top of the pops, we nearly. That was a massive show as well back then, right? Yeah. That was appointment, and it actually was live. You know, sometimes they recorded it. But this one was going to be live. You, you, but they all mimed. You didn't have to sing it live, even. And we followed a team. A team. Look at me, a team. We followed a group called Five Star. You too young for Five Star? I have no idea. Five Star. Five Star. Were, there was five in the group, huh. and they four runners of five. They were sure. absolutely. They danced and sung, and they were perfect. You know what I mean? They were all in sync, and was like a little bit like Michael Jackson doing all this and that. And we had to follow them <laughs> in your jackets, if you like in Miami Vice. Absolutely, Miami, Miami Vice. I had my white jacket on. I think I had the, the, the sleeves uh, rolled up like Don Johnson, and uh, but you couldn't see. You could, I'm glad you couldn't see what was going on inside. You it looked was, like you were enjoying you it. Were, like you enjoying it a water. bit, weren't you? We, well, I tell you what, I hated it up until it started. When the music, we, like. we had to go for it. I said to Chris, we're going to... Chris luck- didn't go for it, I'm we're- sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he was petrified when he clinging on to that stand. But we had a right few, we had to have a few beers, you know, in the afternoon. We'd been training and the car picked us up and we, I said, Chris, <laughs> I said to the fellow, go and get a case of beer. I said, we're going we're gonna to make ourselves look absolutely, re- well, even, fu- even more ridiculous than we looked. And we had a, we had a, like, a 
half the case of beer before we <laughs> went on to get out there just to you know do it so um so you were loose we were loose we were loose ish we were very loose in langens after when we went <laughs> afterwards with the girls that was good but so sadly the career as a pop star didn't really take off well it could have done but i you you know, said, oh, it took a, a long time for us to come round. You know, I've done quite a few songs, funny enough. What with the Tottenham FA Cup songs and the England World Cup songs, I think I've been in the top 12 six times. Bloody hell. There you go. <laughs> now, the quality of the songs, I'm not so sure about it. Other people judge that, but I can wear the T-shirt, can't I? Nirvana. In fact, in fact, guys, he is wearing a Nirvana T-shirt right now in the in this interview, which I think honest, I've never seen a Nirvana. Oh, it's alright. It's just I like the T-shirt yeah, before, you can... before I win an holiday. Is that alright? Yeah, you can pull it I'm off. An, anyway. I'm an Eagles man. Right. Yeah. You look incredibly brown as well, so you can pull yeah. off the kind of surfer yeah. surfer so, boy surf, look, surf, which surf, I think is what you're going for. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the it's too late to surf at 64. No, it's never too late. <laughs> I actually think. I don't know about hips and stuff, but you, I think that probably be would really well, suit you. No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that one. You spend your time. I mean, well, now you spend your time basically working fairly regularly as a pundit, as yeah. a commentator, as a commentator yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, how, how, you must. It seems like you really enjoy it, and it seems as though you, um, like you said earlier, you know, watching this game of football that's developed on so much from yeah. what it was when you were playing. Of course. Of course it's, does, that, it's, does that hurt a bit? Do you? No, no, not at all. I, I, I like the way that football and all sports, let's face it, you, you've only got to look at all the sports and you've got to look at the women football, the women cricketers, the golfers. Every sport's come on. The golfers mm. now, they hit the ball. <laughs> Miles, you know, cricket is amazing. The one-day game is what it's done for cricket. And football's the same. The, the, the lighter balls, the pitches, the rules of the game is all about now. It's completely turned the other way. It's all about creative football, yeah. scoring yeah. more goals, creating more. So, you know, every sport has, has evolved like that and, and become better and better. Not every sport, but most sports have. Do you, do you think that's true, given the situation with Man City and this kind of what many people think of as being kind of clinical, everyone working in their own, knowing mm. their jobs and playing yeah. as this like slick mm. unit that maybe doesn't allow that much space for expression. Do you value that? No, no, I, I disagree with that to a certain degree because Man City could never do what they're doing on the pitches we used to play on. They just couldn't. No. You couldn't pass out from the goalkeeper like that into the, in, in your own penalty area and play with the divots and the, hard, and the dust when it's in April. So that... The pitch is now dictated to, to people playing out from the back more. You know, and I think sometimes we're guilty of overplaying in, in actual fact. Probably Man City are the only ones that can, can do it all the time and, and do it when they want to do it. Others are guilty of it because everyone's got to be 100% in sync with that and happy with that. Um, even you go to watch the League One teams and stuff, and they're all trying to play out from the back at times. And I'm, you know, I'm hiding behind the sofa some of the times when I'm watching the game. Um, but it's nice. It's technical. It's about playing through the pitch. So I would love to have played in that in this era, yeah. with the rules as they are and the pitches and the way the game's spaced out. We played in sixty by forty yeah, box, yeah, yeah. and that ball would drop down from a goal kick. And like, good luck if you if you could show a bit of skill and beat someone and get a ball through to a striker. You've done well, and that's how we played, you know? Um, do you think heading, do you think, you know, how they've been making advances on not letting kids head the ball? Do you think that's likely to fade out of the game? No, it shouldn't be. It should never be shaded. No, it should never go out. If they want to do that, uh, you know, it becomes like the five-a-side. You know, the ball can't go over your overhead height. That's ridiculous, you know. Use a sponge ball. They can still... Heading's not just about the actual physical heading. Yes, of course, if there were heavier balls in the 60s and the 70s, the balls are lighter now. It's the training time. It's spending 30 headers and getting your timing right and getting your arms in the right position. Now, if kids don't, are not going to do that, use a sponge ball. It's not going to take anything away. They're still doing the timing. They're still jumping. They're still getting the head and their neck through the ball, but they're not getting the blow on the on the on the. On the Use sponge balls. Right. Make sure you serve. Which is the ball. concern, of course. It's about the head potential for yeah. head injuries. Yeah. When they're older, you can, you know, you, you, that becomes different. Football, football has got to have heading in, in there. Last two things before we wrap. Um, do you think Spurs can win the league this season? Um, sometime in the future. Yeah. Oh of course. no. What? <laughs> um, can they win the league this season? Is that what you're saying? That's. I'm I don't that's think they I'm can asking. win it because I don't think Chelsea can win it. 
I don't think Tottenham can win it. Arsenal, all them teams below Liverpool and, and Man City. I still think it's a two-horse race to come to winning the, the title. I think there might be a spell when some of these clubs might actually have a little spell at the top, maybe for a little spell. But I think Tottenham are going to have a better season than they've had for a long time. Yeah, I think they're going to go toe-to-toe with, with anyone. You can beat, they beat Man City twice last year, so you can go toe-to-toe, but I mean really go toe-to-toe physically, technically, tactically. Conte's the right man, he's a winner. He's bought very shrewdly. Yes, I think they're going to be a, a force this year and I think they could probably, you know, get Champions League again. Um, it would be nice if a bit of silver were come their way as well, but I think it would be domestic. But um, that group of players could do something special in the next two or three seasons. That's if Antonio feels he wants to stay and do a project. He doesn't really do that, does he? Maybe, just maybe, with that beautiful stadium, that beautiful training ground, with a group of players he's got at the moment, and you've got to say, he's, I think he's I think he's bought shrewdly and he's added to that squad. Yeah. Um, he might just, he might just look at that and go, I like it here. And it would be nice if he stayed for two or three seasons to, to see it right out, you know. Um, last but only he knows that. Yeah, well, and there's a lot of backwards and forwards, isn't there, of course, playing the game, doing the conversations yeah. that you didn't so much enjoy. Um, and, and just before we go, of course, lots of, you know, people watched on in like horror and terror in 2018 oh, yeah. when you when you yeah. had that terrible... In fact, one of our... One of the women on the Ramble, Jules Breach, was in fact... Um, oh, in Jules, the, yeah. yeah. in the studio. She was, bless her. So, yeah, we, we no. just... And we just... How are you doing now? Are you? I'm doing I, fine. I, I I'm think doing this very is good. something. Um, I'm not sure about the surfing. <laughs> but... No, I, I, I was. I'm just such a so fortunate. I'm so lucky to be here. You know, Simon. Simon Daniel saved my life. Um, a sound engineer, and, and and you know, a lot of people have a cardiac arrest, and they've got three minutes. Basically, you've got three minutes, and some people in life don't. They're not in the the environment where someone can save their life with the CPR, which is so important. So I was saved completely. I knew nothing about it. Um, one minute I'm at BT keeping the ball up with Robbie Savage and then next minute I woke up in a hospital. So, I, you know, all the trauma and everything my family went through and, and the people in the studio went through. I know, you know, Jules was there. I think Pooks was there. Um, Incy and Sid. Robbie, obviously. And um, I think it affected them quite a bit, you know. I would have hated to have seen it myself if somebody else. I think Harry was there as well, Harry Redknapp. So yeah, that was they went through the trauma, but I, I woke up in the hospital and I was just, you know, when it was all said to me afterwards, I was just so thankful. I mean, just so grateful. Has, has it changed my life? Of course it has, yeah. I mean, I, I've always believed in the afterlife, but um, but now it's just, oh dear, you know, life is really unfolding in such different ways. It's so important, you know, every second. And... Um, you know what, I came out and said this afterwards, and I really, truly believe it. And it, this this made it, what happened to me, I didn't see a light, I didn't go to the light like some people did, but I've just, there has been a change within me. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's not what we achieve on this planet, it's how we achieve it is more important. That's what you can take with you. That's really important to me and important to my kids and my grandchildren now, you know, and... and uh, yeah nice to be here oh well Glenn Hoddle thank you so much for spending some Pleasure. of that time with us on Pleasure. the drop-in enjoyed it really good fun that's it then guys our second drop-in with Glenn Hoddle oh, I really hope you enjoyed it <laughs> would love to hear what you thought at Football Ramble or at KVL Mason on Twitter It's such a bizarre thing, sitting down with someone you've dreamed of talking to. You want to make sure you ask him all the things you and also everyone else who knows you're talking to him has wondered about. He's a touchstone for so much of football history that I wasn't even alive for. It almost has the quality of myths hearing him talk about playing against Diego Maradona. It was important to get Glenn's reflections on those comments he made before losing the England job. To be honest, it sometimes becomes pretty clear pretty quickly that an interviewee doesn't want to talk about something in detail and the record on what was said all those years ago seems to be pretty clear so I didn't push him on it 
Get in touch with your questions on Twitter at Football Ramble and tell us who else we should chat with. We've had some great suggestions already. We're digging into some of them right now. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at KVL Mason. And I'll speak to you very soon. The Football Ramble is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. And now you're going to sing us the outro. <laughs> <laughs> Always look <laughs> When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.